Happy New Year. Yay. I'm 21. I'm going to go have some drinks after this. Oh, let's start, shall we? Uh, I want to tell you a story when I was in eighth grade. I was in eighth grade, end of the year. My parents and I walk into my guidance counselor's office because I got to get ready for high school. So we walk in and the guidance counselor says, here are some things you can do to prepare for high school, but also these are some things you might want to keep in mind as you think about college. And I, I, I said, okay, you know, great. And my parents stopped me right there. And my parents said, you know what, Jonathan is only going to go um, to one of these Christian colleges that are in our de denomination. So it's going to be a little different for Jonathan. And that was the first time I'd heard that. I was like, what? That's what's, that's what's going to happen. And they said, yeah. And so I went home and I talked about it with my parents. And, and they said, yeah, we really think it's best if you just go to one of these Christian colleges in our denomination. And, and that's going to be best for you right now. And I didn't really fight that at all. But here's the thing. My parents and my parents' parents and my extended family in this little tiny denomination that we were a part of, they were pretty prominent in that. Which meant that with these five Christian colleges in this really tiny denomination that I could choose from, I knew the second that I wrote my name on an application, I knew that I was going to get in no problem. Right? So it's the first time I was exposed to my privilege and legacy. Right? Those are important things to be exposed to early on. But I didn't handle that very well. Because what I did is I just did nothing. I didn't study very hard. I didn't join a club unless there was like a girl I liked in the club or whatever. I, didn't, uh, I played sports for a little bit until it got too hard and then I decided to quit. I, I, didn't, I didn't get all uh, or great grades at all. In fact, my senior year, my guidance counselor was like, if you don't take these classes, you are not going to get into a four-year school. And I was like, I will. I don't have to worry about it. And I didn't take those classes. Right? It was this sense of privilege, a sense of legacy. And so then I went to one of these Christian colleges. And within 18 months, I was kicked out. <laughs> Because I, yeah, that's a whole other story that I'll tell my therapist. But anyway, uh, uh, that's what happened, right? And so here's the deal, right? As I think back on those days, I think about uh, um, the fact that I wasn't, um, that my privilege stopped me from, from being a responsible human being. It stopped me from being disciplined. It stopped me from taking, uh, taking responsibility of my actions and the things that I had to accomplish and the things that I needed to do. It stopped me from being an adult. And it wasn't until my mid-20s, right now, that... Um, <laughs> <laughs> that I, I recognized uh, that I had to sort of get my life together. That, that I couldn't just float uh, through life on, on privilege and legacy. That I actually had to step up and be an adult, right? And I remember thinking that that happened way too late in my life. Way too late. And because it happened way too late, I went to my parents and I said, Hey, Mom and Dad, I really blame you for this. I blame you for like my late bloomingness in terms of being an adult. And I blame you because back in eighth grade, you told me that I could only choose one of five colleges, which I knew I was going to get into, which stopped me from ever really working hard, you know? And my parents were like, you're right. That was unfair of us to do. You're absolutely right. In hindsight, we wish we would have done differently. We're really sorry. And then my mom said, uh, what is your responsibility in this? And I was like, my responsibility in this? I don't have any responsibility in this. <laughs> Because that's what we like to do, right? We like to push that responsibility outside, away from ourselves, and onto the other. We call it the blame game, call it whatever you want. Um, 
Blaming uh, is systemic in this place. In fact, I would dare say blaming is a currency that we use in this place, in this world, in this city, whatever the case may be. We don't have to go too far to see that blame is such a huge part of how our country operates, right? Now, I don't care what side of the, of the spectrum you're on, uh, but regardless, there's a sense in which American politics is all about not looking inwardly, but actually looking outward at the person we could blame for the problem that we're in today, or the group of people that we could blame, or the religion that we could blame, or the border that we can blame, or whatever the case, because it's not necessarily about us, it's about everything happening out there, right? We do a great job of that right now. I was on Facebook recently, I used to be a teacher. Where are my teachers? Y'all all all right? (laughs) Hang in there, y'all, hang in there. Um, I was on Facebook a couple weeks ago, one of my former students in their 20s was joking around with me, and they were like, oh, Mr. Williams, do you remember the time you put me in summer school? And I wrote back, I was like, I didn't put you anywhere. You put yourself in summer school, <laughs> not me. And, you know, but that's what we do, right? We, we decide that it's somebody else's thing. You know, I cheated on my significant other, and I cheated on them because uh, you know, they weren't fulfilling my needs, right? Because at the end of the day, that currency that we have, that currency, is, is a, there's a selfishness at its core. There's a selfishness that's good. There's a a sense in which, like, okay, this is who I am. This is what I need to accomplish, what I need to do. And I'll go a step further. I I will say that not only is it a selfishness at its core, and this one's going to throw us off for a minute, but I would dare say we blame others because we don't love ourselves. Because we don't love ourselves. And I'm going to get to that in a second. We're in epiphany right now. And in this epiphany season, uh, we have talked a thousand, or epiphany season is when Jesus Christ is here. The light has come. We follow the light of Christ. Am I right? Amen. Great. <laughs> I was expecting a little bit more, but I didn't get it. And anyway, so that's what we do. Like we follow the light, like the light of Christ is here. If we want to see what our lives should look like, we look at the light of Christ. And so our staff got together a few months ago and we said, what are we going to do for epiphany? I mean, we talk all the time about how we want to usher in the next 500 years. And that happens communally and it happens theologically. But we also say it happens personally. So there are things we want to do in our own life. There's people we want to become because we believe in our becoming. We are going to usher in the next 500 years on a personal level or on an interpersonal level. And so that's what we want to focus on this series. This series is going to be called Becoming. Who do we want to become in order to usher in the next 500 years personally, individually? And today, it's a simple message. Let's stop blaming. Let us stop blaming. Now, this is way more nuanced Way more nuanced than the 19 minutes that I can give it, right? Because we have to recognize a couple things. Number one, we have to recognize that there are systems in place in this world today that stop people from becoming uh, their full selves. Bottom line, disproportionately people of color and women. Bottom line, there are systems in place that we should blame, right, for, for, our, for our lot or our place in life. And we have to recognize the fact that we have to, uh, there are some people in this room who have to work twice as hard as others, right, who don't have the same privilege and legacy. And we should be blaming our systems and working to change those systems. So there is nuance, right? That's there. Where are my millennials? Yeah, all right, okay. There's also a sense with us that we are put in a worse financial situation, We are not going to buy the house and have the same job for 25 years and live debt-free. We're not going to have that. And we can blame the systems in place for those things. But we're also ordering seamless six nights a week, right? (laughs) And so for that, we need to look introspectively. (laughs) So how do we do that? What do we do? 
I want to read to us from Genesis. And I love Genesis. And the reason I love Genesis so much is because um, oh, when we stop reading it as history and we start reading it as the story that it is, there's so much good stuff in there, right? So stop reading Genesis as an historical account, please. Can we all stop doing that? And let's start reading it as like this really important gift that we've been given from a bunch of people who tried to figure it out long before we did, okay? All right, so let's do that. And here's the deal. It says this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, Well, the woman you put here with me, she did it. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And she says, Well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. All right, what do we see at the end there? What's happening? What are we doing? And honestly, and this is messed up. But because of this passage, we have had thousands of years of patriarchy because the woman was blamed first. Like, bottom line, this is, blaming is evil, right? And so I dare say, uh, that's a strong word, the word evil, but do you all know what Satan literally means? Say, what? Yeah, Phil, thank you, man. Yeah, it means (laughs) accuser. It means accuser. Basically, the word Satan means to blame someone else, to accuse someone else. There's evil in the fact that we push things off of ourselves and give it to others. So that's what we see happen. We see when the fall of this world happens in story, right, that all of a sudden the first and most evil thing that we do is accuse the other, is hurt the other. Now, why do we do this? I want to get into it. I want to get to the fact that they uh, they saw themselves as naked, Now, I don't need y'all to raise your hand or anything like that, but how many of y'all like staring at your naked self in the mirror? Again, do not raise your hand. It's hard. It's really difficult. I would dare say that most of us in this room, at one point or another, if not right now, we do not love our naked bodies. We don't love our bodies at all. In fact, I would dare say that there are many of us who see ourselves and we see imperfections and we see insecurity and vulnerability and it's all right there in our physical form. And there it is. I would dare say that that is the case for most of us. There's a reason that we spend billions upon billions upon billions of dollars every single year trying to improve this. It's because at the end of the day, we can't stand the sight of ourselves. That's a hard thing. Now, there are some of us here in this room right now who have done a ton of work. And in doing a ton of work, you have become comfortable with your naked self. For you, I mean, that's who we all strive to be. It's an amazing security. When we could see our vulnerabilities, when we could see our insecurities, when we could see our imperfections, and still say that we are good or we look good, right? That's an important thing. One of the most important things is, uh, for those of us who have significant others, it's the sense of, um, after a while, you're simply with one another. Because they see all the bad, all the imperfection, all the vulnerability, and now you could simply be with them, right? You could be with them naked as well. But it legitimately takes years for us to get there, and many of us don't get there at all. When the fall happens, all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are like, we're naked. We're imperfect. We're vulnerable. 
We're insecure. This is, this is oh, my, oh my God, this is who I am? I, I don't like this about me. I don't like seeing these things about myself. I, I don't like it. And so what happens is when we don't like this thing that we see about ourselves, we say, oh, my, I'm in pain now. And I don't want to look at how I can like, be comfortable with this thing that I'm in pain with. What I now need to do is I need to find out who did this to me. Who, who made this? Who made me the, the way that I am? So now everything goes, I blame you for doing that. It's on the outside. See, we don't want to deal with the insecurity, the vulnerability, the imperfection that we have in our naked, vulnerable selves. And so we push it outward. We transmit it to others instead of transforming ourselves. Now, we've developed a terrible theology around this, an awful theology. We've developed a theology that said God sees us as God's walking in the garden, and God sees that we're naked, and God says, you are now sinners, and I'm separate from you from now on. Right? That's what we've done. In fact, there are some translations in Scripture that say God said, I am now separate from you, and now we're going to go toil and do all these things, and I don't like you anymore. And that's me paraphrasing, right? right? And so the only reason that we're seen as good again is because Jesus Christ comes along at some point and dies to make us good again. That's a terrible theology. And it's a terrible theology because we have to pay attention to what God is saying here. God says, who told you you were naked? Who told you? Any parents in this room? When your kid lies, you're like, who told you that? You know. You know. And here's the thing. When there's, as parents, like, you don't sit there and you're not like, oh my gosh, kid, now I see all your imperfections. Now I see that you're vulnerable. Now I see your insecurities. I see that you're lying. I see that you're pushing on the outside. Well, see you later, child. No. <laughs> those of us in our right mind goes, who told you that you had to be those things? Who told you? You see, we believe the lie that God separates from us when God sees us as naked. We believe that lie. We believe a lie that says when, when God sees us as naked, he sees our imperfections, or God sees uh, our pain, God sees whatever it is that we have going on, and God goes, I don't want any of that. When the truth is exactly the opposite. God sees that, and God goes, I've always known you are that way. And here I am going, who told you that you had to be defensive? Who told you you had to transmit that pain otherwise? Who told you that? I love you. But we don't believe it. And because we don't believe it, we transmit, we transmit that pain to others rather than being introspective and looking at it in ourselves. So I have two kids. The oldest one always needs to be right. Where am I oldest? Y'all need to be right all the time. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. And I'm an oldest too, so I'm with you. <laughs> my oldest will say to my oldest, will say, hey, you've done this thing wrong. And she goes, no, I didn't. And we go, you did. And she goes, no, I didn't. We say, well, we have proof that you did. And so what she does is she runs to her room, slams the door, and she always yells out, I hate my younger sister. <laughs> Meanwhile, my younger one's just like sitting there playing with blocks or something like, what? <laughs> what happened? Who are my youngest ones? God bless y'all. <laughs> you get a lot. You get a lot. Right? Because that's what we want to do. We don't actually want to face that pain head on. In our nakedness, in our vulnerability, we believe the lie that we're not good enough. And so if we're not good enough, then we need to get rid of this thing that makes us not good enough. And so we transmit it to somebody else, whether it be our younger sister, whoever it might be. Right? Instead of saying, I'm so loved. I'm so incredibly loved that I don't have to be insecure about this thing, about my nakedness. I'm so incredibly loved that I can go ahead and own up to something without having to transmit that pain to somebody else. We don't want to do that. I think Richard Rohr nails, uh, hits the nail on the head when he says this. He says, we really are our own worst enemy. 
Sad to say, but blame gives us focus, purpose, direction, superiority, and a strange kind of security. It takes our aimless anxiety, covers it up, and turns it into purposefulness and urgency, which shows itself as a kind of drivenness. But this drive is not peaceful or happy. It is filled with itself. It's filled with an agenda and sees all of its problems as out there and never in here. When we do not love ourselves, that's the kind of, that's the kind of stance that we end up taking. And again, we don't have to look very far in this country at all to see the fact that there are people in this country who are masters at this kind of manipulation, at this kind of blame, at this kind of pushing it out instead of looking inward. So that leaves us at a bit of a crossroads, right? We want to be our best selves. We want to live in the fullness of our humanity. And I would dare say the first thing that we do, if we're going to live in the fullness of humanity, if we're going to become who God calls us to become, the first thing we do is recognize that we are absolutely loved by God because of our imperfections, because of our insecurities, and because of the fact that we're vulnerable and naked. We recognize that we are loved already. And some of you are saying, well, I was told that I wasn't loved because I identify this way or I it this way. Lies. You are absolutely loved and made in the image of God. That's the first thing we remember. When we stand there vulnerable, God's not saying, oh my gosh, that's imperfect, I'm separating myself. God says, who told you that you are imperfect? I've always seen you as beautiful, my child loved. The first thing that we do is we recognize that we are loved by God. And some of you are going, well, I've been abused. Or I've been an abuser. I'm filled with shame. I hear you. And God hears you too. And God is saying, those things do not matter. And you're like, but what about the things I'm going to do? Uh (laughs) And God goes, yeah, I know those things too. And I'm still here to tell you that in your nakedness, in your imperfection, in your insecurity, in your vulnerability, you are my child. When we can accept that, then we can accept our imperfections. Then we get to say, I have imperfections, yeah. And guess what? Being fully human means I work those imperfections out. Being fully human means I take responsibility where responsibility is needed. Being fully human means I recognize the nuance that, yeah, maybe my parents made me go to a Christian college, but I also didn't have to rebel the way I did for 10 years, right? You start to say, like, I'm still okay because God says I'm okay. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you weren't allowed to to be imperfect? Who told you that? Stop believing that lie. Secondly, and this is the hard one because we don't like to do this, we confess. Y'all like confession? I love it. I'm not even kidding. Here's why I love it. I love it because we get to say out loud, instead of me transmitting my pain to others, by me confessing out loud what I've messed up or my imperfections, I get to transform my imperfections and make them useful to God's plan. That's what I get to do. By me confessing out loud that I'm vulnerable and insecure, I get to transform that instead of transmit it and say, this is going to be useful for bringing the kingdom of God. I get to do that. And so who are we blaming right now? Who are we sitting there and we're going, this person did this to me and I can't function, I can't live because of it. And maybe again, that's true. These systems are in place and I can't live and I can't function because of it. Well, there's some truth to that, right? But at what point do we get to say, people like me with privilege get to say, I see what God is up to in this world. I see that God loves me regardless of my insecurity. Now I'm going to help change those systems. And now I'm going to help better myself. And now I'm going to help bring this kingdom to this place. We get to do that. So I'm going to confess to you today. I'm going to confess because the truth of the matter is there is someone who I have harbored anger for for a while. A while. And they did me wrong. And so I have every right to be angry. But what I've noticed myself doing in the past few months 
is I've noticed that I'll say, I have lack of clarity, or I have lack of creativity, or I'm tired, and then I blame this person for that. I had to go through that whole thing with this person. And because I had to go through the whole thing with them, I don't have the same clarity I used to have. I don't have the same creativity I used to have. I'm just trying to make it go. That's not fair. That's not fair to me. That's not allowing me to live fully in the way that God created me to be. That's me transmitting my pain to somebody else, somebody who doesn't even know I'm transmitting that pain at this point. And so instead, I take that back. And I say, what do I need to work on in my world, in my life, knowing fully that I'm a child of God, what do I need to work on so that instead of transmitting this, I get to transform this and make something else out of it. So I'm going to challenge you. Who are you blaming? How do you need to confess? Do that. You don't have to do it out loud. But do it today. Angela's going to come up. She's going to lead us in worship. Take that time to confess that there's someone who you are putting that blame on. There's something you're putting that blame on. There are ways in which you are not living out your full self. And then for some of you, what you need to hear today is you need to hear that you are going to usher in the next 500 years of Christianity when you start believing that regardless of who you are and how you, and how you identify or how you are in or whatever else, that you are absolutely 100% fully a child of God. And maybe that's where we start today too. What's it going to be? You are made imperfect. You are made to be insecure. You are made vulnerable. You are made naked. God sees all of that and says, you are my child. Transform that pain into something that benefits my kingdom. Amen? Amen. God, thank you. God, thank you for that promise. God, thank you that you bring Jesus. Thank you that Jesus shows us what it looks like to, to transform pain and to make it into something that brings life. God, thank you for showing us that, that you're not a God of law, but instead you are a God of humanity, of relationship, and that wants to see us all thrive and live fully. And God, when we get that wrong, we're so thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ that shows us over and over again what it looks like and the possibility of what can be. We pray this all in your name, your infinite and unimaginable name. Amen.